Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. With me, Laura Curran. And let's bring in Laura Curran, a member of the Democratic Party. Joining us now by phone, Laura Curran. Laura, good morning. Now, here's your host, Laura Curran. Hello, I am Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase, where we delve into politics, media, culture, and current events. Real conversations about real issues that affect our lives, no matter where we are on the political spectrum. All right, let's get right to it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. So the Fed, the Federal Reserve System, known as the Fed, has been in the news a lot lately. And it's always in the news because it's very important. But do you have a sense of what it really is? I will be honest with you. I had some questions myself. You know, I try to read the Wall Street Journal every day. I read the New York Times. I read the Post. I read, you know, Newsday. But I still have a lot of questions about the Fed and its influence on policy, on the monetary system, on banks, on inflation. So I read a book. It's called Limitless, The Federal Reserve in a New Age of Crisis by a New York Times reporter by the name of Gina Smilek. It's a great read. If you want to sound smart at a cocktail party, I think this is a good one for you the next time you're hobnobbing with the elites out there. So I want to welcome Gina Smilek to Cut to the Chase. Hi, thanks for having me. So you have covered the Fed for Bloomberg, now for The New York Times, and some might say this is a very dry subject. You've gotten very good reviews on the book. Kirkus says, Smialik lays out inaccessible prose, the best book about the Fed in our time and a model of financial writing, and then goes on to say, surprisingly, given its subject, readable account. Why is it that you're interested in covering this? How did you get into this beat of all the things there are to cover in the world? Yeah, so I kind of fell into it accidentally. You know, I was fresh out of college. I was looking for a job. It was kind of a tough job market. And I got hired at Bloomberg and they decided to put me on economics. And I actually discovered that, you know, this wasn't something I was naturally interested in, but it was so much more interesting than I had given it credit for being. And I realized that I, I think a lot of the reason for sort of that disconnect, the fact that I thought it wasn't that interesting. And then I discovered that actually there was so much here that a sort of ordinary person might be really fascinated by, especially in the way that it's covered. You know, the Fed is very much covered for a Wall Street audience. It's not often written about for sort of, you know, what we think of as quote unquote normal people. And so I thought that there, you know, I thought that there was a hole in a room for a book like this that kind of does try and lay out what the Fed is and what it's doing and what role it's playing in modern society in a way that hopefully is accessible to sort of everybody. You know, I, I tried to write it in pretty jargon-free mm-hmm. word, wording. So hopefully, hopefully I accomplished that. Yeah, I think you succeeded that. I found it fascinating. You have really great character sketches. I really enjoyed the part about the relationship between Steve Mnuchin, investment banker turned Treasury Secretary under the Trump administration, his relationship with Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. And you get the sense of these two very smart experienced guys trying to navigate a very difficult political backdrop, very charged political atmosphere. 
And each you get the sense each of them really wanted to do the right thing while having to navigate very complicated politics. And I think when you tell a story that way, it explains the dry stuff so much more interestingly. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of these policymakers, you know, they are real human beings. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I think we kind of get caught up in sort of the day to day, you know, are interest rates going to rise? Are they not? You know, what did the Fed do to save you know, this particular market. But at the end of the day, there's some sort of overarching logic to what they're doing. And it, it does often really sort of tie back to, you know, either what they think is going to be good for the economy or what they think will be best for their legacy in the long run. You know, and I, I think sort of digging into those motivations and talking about how this fits into the broader sweep of their stories can make it a little bit more understandable. And, you know, I think the 2020 episode and, and Stephen Mnuchin and Jay Powell and what they were trying to accomplish is such a clear example of that because they were both dealing dealing with just so many pressures, political and practical. And so it was interesting as a reporter to watch them kind of grapple with that. Right, because the Fed really is supposed to be apolitical. And the way you lay out the history very succinctly, seeing it was formed in 1913 to after a bunch of financial crises to kind of bring some stability to the monetary world and to banks. And it really should be apolitical because if you make decisions on a political basis, as we know, there's a lot of drama. It's a roller coaster ride. You're not going to make the best decisions. But you see the modern Fed as it goes through the Great Depression, the inflation crisis of the 70s, the recession in 2008, COVID. It adapts and evolves and changes, kind of mutates with each of those crises. Do you see that evolution as getting, making it good for the Fed or on balance? Is it something that could be harmful that maybe some of those Mount Olympus type practices get lost and when they have to deal with the more nitty gritty stuff? You know, I honestly don't think we have the answer to that question yet, but it's pretty much the motivating reason for why I wrote this book. Hmm. Uh, So I do think, like you said, you know, there is this history of Fed independence. The Fed is free of politics. It sets monetary policy without an eye on who's going to get elected next cycle, which is really important because the Fed's job primarily is to control inflation and foster maximum employment. And if you're worried about the next election, you might not be able to accept the pain that is necessary to bring down inflation when it's rapid, knowing that that's really going to hurt the political party's chances. And so there's this very important reason for this apolitical situation. But the Fed, like you said, it was founded in 1913 to sort of serve as backstop for the financial system in times of trouble. And that role has just exploded both in 2008 and now especially in 2020 with the onset of the pandemic. And as the Fed has sort of taken on the role of insurance policy for a whole range of different markets, you know, a really broad array of entities, businesses, you know, et cetera, I think that we've gotten a lot closer to a world where they almost tiptoe closer to that line of picking winners and losers and doing something that looks a little bit more like the kind of policy you usually expect to come out of Congress. Hmm. And so that more expansive role does sort of, you know, it forces them to make decisions that are sort of inherently political. And so I do think there's this real question, you know, can you remain a partisan and super apolitical in a world where your mandate's really getting stretched a little bit? And, you know, I think this is this is not a novel concept. This is something that gets talked about, talked about a lot in sort of the world of central banking and central banking studies. But I don't think it's one that sort of, you know, everyday people are hyper aware of. And I think it's it's a really interesting question for our democracy. It's, it's This is kind of a lot. I think there are a lot of parallels here with the discussion we often have about the Supreme 
court, you know, mm-hmm. and how the Supreme Court's power has morphed over time. And I think we're kind of with the Fed now where the Supreme Court conversation maybe was 10 years ago, but the, the awareness just isn't there yet. And so that was part of my goal with writing the book is I, I just think this is something that we should sort of have in our civic conversation and sort of our civic education. Right. I was reminded also reading the book of the Supreme Court and how that has become so politicized. And there was one, again, going back to COVID, you talk about this really interesting tension between Bharat Ramamurti, who was in a congressional oversight committee over looking over the Fed, getting into a debate with Senator Patrick Toomey, a Republican from Pennsylvania. He was the Senate Majority Leader's Mitch McConnell's pick for that commission. Now, Ramamurti was a former aide to very progressive Senator Elizabeth Warren. Pat Toomey could not, you know, he's a pretty conservative Republican. And here you have this tension. What should the role of the Fed be? Should it just be about the banks and the interest rates? We saw the debate in that through the prism of COVID, really explode between these two guys. And that was sort of a good little microcosm of the debate about the Fed and how it can be used politically, but how also that could be a very dangerous thing. Taking power, you know, you could say that could be taking power away from the Congress, from the folks who are elected to actually make policy. Yeah. And I thought this was such an interesting lens through which to look at this question, because I actually, you know, things can get pretty political in Washington. I actually think to some degree, this was a pretty good faith debate. Like, I think both of these people were basically trying to figure out how to combat an ongoing crisis in the best way possible. Right. Neither is a bad person. They're very sincere in their advocacy for this. And they were two really interesting different sides of the story. You know, Ram and Murdy wanted to really stretch the Fed's powers to try and use them to get aid to state localities whom he thought needed that aid. And Toomey was basically like, this would be a huge abuse of the Fed's power. We shouldn't be using it for things like this. This is something Congress should do. If Congress wants to legislate on that, that's fine, but it shouldn't be a Fed, Fed task. And, you know, I don't think that the answer of, you know, where do where do we want the Fed to fall in that in that world? Where should what role should they play in a democratic society? I don't think we fully answered that with the end of 2020. So I think this is going to surface again. And you really make the case about the evolution of the Fed from a starting 110 years ago. So you've been covering the Fed for how long? About five, five, six years? Yeah, so I've been covering economics for 10 years, and mm-hmm. I kind of started the Fed slowly 10 years ago, but I've been officially covering the Fed and only the Fed for about six or seven years now. So you write in your book, Limitless, that, quote, the Fed has gone from in social issues are not its domain to flying pride flags and shaping conversations about racial, gender, and geographic inequity with research and expert advice. Now central bankers are hurtling toward a future in which they could play a more critical role in policing climate risk and digital transactions, a.k.a. crypto. Is this something that concerns you personally or are you able to retain your objectivity? You know, I actually think that this is kind of the dream story for a journalist. Yeah. Because well, it's never it's so boring. Complicated. Yeah. yeah. And it's so complicated that it's almost impossible to be anything but objective. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I think if you, have a, if you have a simple opinion about this, you're probably not paying very much attention to it. That is such a good point. <laughs> which, which makes for, yeah, I think it, it makes for like almost enforced objectivity. It's really hard to say, you know, here is definitively the role the Fed should play in this sphere because, you know, on one hand, the arguments for the Fed being involved are often very strong. And on the other hand, the arguments for the Fed staying out of it are often very strong. And so it ends up being a really 
fascinating thing to watch. I think what I really came away from as I was researching this book, as I was kind of trying to, you know, say, you, you have to think through what you what you think about something for a book. I think the thing I came away with is there is so much happening here that we should probably be taking a more stepped back look at it than I think we necessarily are in our inter- our national conversation. So I did think this was a moment where there was a position for or a place for, you know, a book that kind of delves into all of these very thorny issues at some level of nuance. You know, you talk about Alan Greenspan. He's the very famous former Fed chairman who had real air of mystique about him. He would say one thing and everyone would like, you know, reading the tea leaves as when he descended from Mount Olympus. What does this mean? Jerome Powell seems to be interested in bringing the Fed to the people. At the beginning of the book, you talk about the Fed listens tour where he goes to all kinds of places in America talking to regular people. Why should the regular person who really doesn't have time to read the Wall Street Journal and watch CNBC, you know, just is trying to pay their mortgage, send their kids to school, get to work every day. Why should they care about the Fed? How is this relevant to their everyday lives? Yeah, I would say, I mean, several of the things you, you just said in the statement that, that you asked the question kind of kind of explain why the, the, you should care about the Fed. So the Fed, obviously, in a very tangible way, matters a lot for how much your mortgage rate is, whether you can refinance at a lower rate, et cetera. That, that's sort of its tool. It works through interest rates. So in a very tangible way, it matters in that sense. But then I think it matters in a bigger and broader way. You know, the Fed is in charge of trying to control inflation in America, which, as we all know, is a very important issue right now. It's also in charge of trying to foster a strong job market. And, you know, whether they succeed at those goals is very important to all of our everyday economic faith. Mm-hmm. And as I try to make clear in the book, the Fed has just developed such massive power over the last century of its life, you know, over the century on, in which it has existed. Yeah. That I think it could be a really important sort of partisan bargaining chip going forward. You know, you could see moves to politicize the Fed. And I think it's really important for America to understand why you wouldn't want to do that. You know, why it's important to leave this institution outside of politics, why that was originally done and why we might want it to continue and I, I don't, you know, I don't think this is front of mind for a lot of people, but I think it's an, it's an important thing to keep an eye on. One more question before I let you go. Following your beat, there's always something to there's always drama. There's always something happening. Inflation's going up. This politician said that this is happening with this bank or that bank. Big news today when we're talking on Friday, the 11th of March, Silicon Valley Bank, which is called the linchpin of the tech industry financing, saw its stock price plummet 60 percent. Thursday, yesterday, investors rushed to sell shares. You know, this is a stock run that is similar to the bank run of the old days of the Great Depression. And is this is this something that concerns is concerning your sources that you're talking to at the Fed? Yeah. So I think that this is pretty clearly a sign that interest rates rising have had some effect on the banking sector. The challenges that are happening at Silicon Valley Bank right now are very much tied to the increase in interest rates. And so I think that this if it turns out to be a canary in a coal mine, if we see broader mm. stress in the banking system that is that looks a lot like this, I think that could be a situation where we see some concern from the Fed. I think it's just too early to know whether that's going to be the case. I've talked to a lot of people about this this morning. There is some sense that this could be a broader problem than just Silicon Valley Bank. But I think we're going to have to I think we're going to get a lot of new information about this over the weekend and on Monday over the coming days. And so I think this is the sort of definitional developing story. 
Thank you, Gina Smilek. Her brand new book, Limitless, The Federal Reserve in a New Age of Crisis. It's a good read. If you don't know what the heck when pe- people are talking about when they talk about the Fed, you got to read this book. Thank you, Gina. Thank you so much. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. I sure did. I mean, the thing I love about life is no matter how old you get, there are always new things to know. It's limitless. And sometimes I get, shall I say, humbled by what I don't know. And I feel like the the more I scratch the surface on things, the more I realize I don't know. So that's why I love podcasts. That's why I love talk radio. That's why I'm really excited about my new radio show at WABC. 77, which is actually the most listened to talk radio station in New York. It's at 4 p.m., my show on Sundays. And I hope that you enjoy this podcast. Please follow me on social media. I love your feedback. If you like this podcast, follow it, like it, share it with your friends. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. Cut into the chase. Bye. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 dollars more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details